Amen. So we are going to continue this morning a message series uh, going through what we're calling the end. And we've taken an overview of the book of Revelation and uh, some of the main events the following week, the seven main events that are prophesied to happen in the book of Revelation. And as I've said before, uh, all of our our sermons before this, I do recognize that there are people in the house who are very passionate about this subject, and you love it. You love Bible prophecy. You love seeing Bible prophecy be fulfilled in the news. And I understand there are people who might be like, yeah, not that interesting to me. But what we did understand is, is out of all the books in the Bible, God looked at this one book and he said, blessed are those who read the words of this book. Come on, somebody. So he didn't say that for Jeremiah 29, 11. Come on. He didn't, he didn't say it for anything else. He said for the book of Revelation. So if you just lean in a little bit to this this morning, I, I trust that you will uh, be blessed and get something out of what the Lord wants to say to us. And one of the challenges for me in going through the book of Revelation is that I never like to just talk about a topic or Bible prophecy and leave it at that. I always want to tie it with something that will help you in your everyday and uh, help you live a better life and draw closer to God, something tangible that you can walk away with. Well, today we're going to look at the Antichrist. So I said, okay, God, <laughs> help me uh, find something that will help us live better as a result of this sermon. So I promise if you lean in today, you will walk away with something. Amen? But yet we're going to dive into the Antichrist, who it is, what it means to us, what it means for uh, the book of Revelation and the return of Christ. Are you ready for the return of Christ? I'll tell you, for those who are passionate about Jesus, there's just this essence of, you know, the more pain that we see in the world, the more hurt, the more destruction, there's just this yearning of, come, Lord Jesus, come, and uh, just get us home, get us in victory, get us away from this, this mess. But we are living in the last days, and I say that, and, and I understand that every generation since Jesus has believed that they're living in the last days. And actually, if you even look at the writings of the apostles, they believe that they were living in the last days. And I, I came across this phrase, it's a quote that I thought was, was just very helpful for the church who has for 2,000 years said we're living in the last days. And it says this, the phrase last hour signifies the entire period of time between the first and second coming of Christ. It has been the last hour since the Son of God invaded the evil one's domain and dealt with him a death blow in the cross and resurrection. The end of that final hour, however, is unknown. So I love that because we are living in the final days. The final days being marked in spiritual time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. So while we do not know the exact day of his return, uh, you know, we do not know if he will return in our lifetime. Although I say there are certainly signs pointing that it's drawing near, but we have no evidence, uh, solid evidence that he will return in our lifetime. 
we are living in the last day of spiritual time. Are you with me? So it will end at some point. It will end in a twinkling of an eye. So uh, we just need to live ready. We need to be ready. Uh, and the Bible teaches us that at some point in the future, there will be an evil ruler called the Antichrist. And he's going to step onto the platform of the world stage and he'll have a leading role for a short period of time in the affairs of mankind. And Paul tells us about this, his appearance in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. And it says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, that that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So Paul is speaking of this political figure in human form that will arrive onto the stage. And as I told you in other uh, messages in this series is that the Antichrist will come. He will bring peace finally in the Middle East, and there will be three and a half years of just wonderful peace on earth. Then halfway through starts uh, the judgments of God, which we would call the tribulation period. So this, this, this man, this Antichrist will come, but Paul says first before he can come, there will be this great falling away that takes place in the world. I want to go over some of these words that Paul uses and some of the definitions of these words, and then I want to reread that scripture to you using those definitions, and I think it's powerful. The phrase falling away is taken from a Greek word, which means to fall away or a revolt or a rebellion or a mutiny or a defiance. So before the Antichrist can be welcomed with wide open arms by the world, there will have to be a change in society's mentality that first must take place. I want you to pay very close attention to that. There will have to be a change in the mentality of society that will have to happen before that can take place. What Paul's describing is he's describing this anti-God, anti-godliness mentality that will be throughout society. And when that happens, the world will be primed and prepared to receive this man who he calls the man of sin. How many of you know our society is ever changing? How many of you know in the last, I will say, two years, there has been a shift even on just the view of even people outside of the church a view of how Christianity is perceived. Where Christianity, even if you weren't a strict Jesus follower, even if you weren't a, you know, Bible-thumping, spirit-filled, tongue-talking type of believer, that Christian morals and values were looked at in our country and really around the world as a positive thing of influence. You were still considered a, a positive person if you showed Christian morals and values. And even if you didn't follow it, you said that you believed in God. There's been a dramatic shift over that over the last several years that it has become commonplace even now that to say you are a follower of Jesus Christ comes along with it in the world's eyes as you are somebody who promotes hate speech. Come on, how do we get that from this book? 
somebody who promotes hate speech that, you know, is against certain groups of our society who, you know, demonizes certain groups of our society. And I will say, I'll give the world credit, there have been a bunch of fruits and flakes and nuts and, you know, who claim to claim the name of Jesus and have done some terrible things in the name of God that uh, they will ride on those coattails. But there has been a dramatic shift in our society's thinking. And what Paul was saying is before the Antichrist can come, this will have to happen. This will have to happen. Again, some of these things that we see even played out in today's papers are, is exactly what Paul is talking about. So the, the thought set and the, the, the mindset of society and Christianity, of faith and religion, have, will change. Paul points out to this time when the evil leader will be revealed. And uh, it really means that the veil will be uh, suddenly removed from view and, and the Antichrist will come onto the scene. He'll suddenly appear. Now, as I told you before, I don't believe that you and I will ever meet the Antichrist. That's me personally. Why? Because I am a pre-trib believer. We, we've gone over that. So that, again, if you're new or visiting today, that is somebody who believes that the rapture or the taking away of the church will happen prior to those seven years that the book of Revelation talks about, which we'll just be here and taken away. Uh, Mid-trib means halfway through those seven years will be taken, and post means you're going to have to endure the entire thing and live out all of that. So I personally believe this will be the greatest leader that I've never met and won't have to meet, and I think that's a wonderful thing. But it's good to know the signs of, of what, is, what is happening. Paul calls this leader a son of perdition, which means it, it's a Greek word that speaks of something that is doomed, that is rotten, that is ruinous, or that is decaying. Ruin, rotten, and decay. There can be found nothing that produces anything good in the Antichrist rule. He also calls him the son of doom or destruction. Paul goes on to say that this man, this Antichrist, will then rise up in pride and want to be worshipped and be exalted as God. He will oppose everything that is God. The word Antichrist means against Christ, against God, right? So this leader will want nothing to do with God or the things of God. And even when you look at this through the scope of where society is, many in today's society would say, well, religion is what divides us. So if we want a united world and we want to live in peace and we want to be in harmony, what's the thing that divides people? Religion. So let's do away with religion. Therefore, we will all be Equal and one and the same. There will be no dividing. Actually, Bible scholars, uh, it talks about he will actually sit on uh, the throne in Jerusalem. Scholars believe that the Antichrist will, the temple in Jerusalem will be rebuilt. And he will go and sit in the temple and decree himself to be God. But I want to remind you of what Isaiah 14, 13 tells us what Lucifer even tried to do in the beginning. Why was Lucifer ever kicked out of heaven? Here's what it says. For thou hast said in, in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like the most high. 
Satan's ultimate goal has always been to be like God. Amen. He's wanted to be God. So the Antichrist embodying this ideology and this theology will try to remove anything that would stop him from that ultimate goal. Second uh, Thessalonians 2.9, Paul also warns us that the Antichrist will also employ supernatural signs and wonders to prove that he is God. It says this, even him who's coming after uh, the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. The Bible says that actually the Antichrist will suffer a deadly blow, and whether that's a shooting or whatever that would be, but he will actually then be resurrected. He will come back to life, trying to prove that he is just like Jesus, just like God. I read this commentary on this this week, and I thought it was really interesting, but I've taught you before that uh, Satan can't do anything in the earth without the uh, without the partnership of humanity. And we understand that because in Genesis, God said to Adam and Eve, I give you dominion over the earth. So spiritually speaking, human flesh has dominion on the earth, not spirit, because God gave that to Adam and Eve. So anytime God wants to do something in the earth, he has to work through human flesh. That's why, you know, he says, hey, will you go into the world and be my light and be my salt? And, you know, you perform signs, wonders, miracles in my name. I need you. I need to partner with you. So the devil has to partner with human flesh to work evil. Like nobody just gets murdered overnight in their sleep by a demonic spirit. Like, like that would be so easy for him. But what does he have to do? He has to possess somebody, right, or influence somebody or break somebody so much to the point that they're susceptible to wrong thinking or wrong thoughts and perform his ultimate plan, right? So there's this aspect where humanity has to partner. So some scholars believe that actually when the Antichrist man is killed and then resurrected, he's actually resurrected, and I don't, this is just laying this out there, but as a full possession of the devil, that prior to this resurrection, the Antichrist is evil and he's, you know, has wrong ideology and he's, you know, but he's human nonetheless, just partnering with a demonic spirit. But when he's actually killed and resurrected, that human aspect of him is gone and now he's fully possessed by the enemy. Are you glad you came to church today? But Satan's always been trying this. Remember a little while ago I talked to you about uh, when the enemy uh, tried to, the angels begin to fornicate with human women and there were giants that were produced in the land that weren't fully human. They had this demonic aspect or this demonic nature about them that was terrible. So is that my beard hitting the, there you go. We'll try that one. Sorry. Uh, this demonic aspects. That's why a lot of times when you read in the Old Testament that they would go in and they would, God would say, hey, kill the whole city and leave nothing. You know, people on the surface say, well, that sounds like a pretty mean God. But every city that he ordered to be killed were all infiltrated with these semi-human, semi-demonic beings. Why? Because the enemy has always been trying to produce a version of himself on the earth. So 
I want to reread that verse of Scripture in 2 Thessalonians in light of some of the revelations or the interpretations of those words. And here's how it would read Paul's letter. In light of these things, I urge you to refuse to allow anyone to take advantage of you. For example, you won't need a letter to tell you when the day of the Lord has come. I like that. You don't need a letter to tell you when the day of the Lord has come. You ought to know by now that this day can't come until first a worldwide insurgency, rebellion, riot, and mutiny against God has come about in society. I see that. Once that occurs, the world will then be primed, prepared, and ready to embrace the son of lawlessness, the one who hates law and has rebellion running in his blood. This is the long-awaited and predicted son of doom and destruction, the one who brings rot and ruin to everything he touches. When the time is just right, he will finally come out of hiding and go public. Do you understand whom I am talking about? I am describing that person who will be so against God and everything connected with the worship of God that if you can imagine it, he will even try to put himself on a pedestal above God himself, sitting in God's rightful place in the temple and publicly proclaiming himself to be God. This evil one will be energized by Satan himself as he makes his arrival known to the world with all kinds of dynamic supernatural powers, powers that are truly extraordinary. These lying signs and wonders and supernatural feats have only one purpose. They are designed to draw attention to the lawless one and to make the world stand in awe of him. Wow. I love it rewritten using some of those definitions. Any Christian who's sensitive to the spirit of God is keenly aware that we are living in a time when society's attitude towards God is radically changing. And like I said, that has to happen in order for the Antichrist to be revealed. However, the Antichrist is not just a man, and here's what I want to help us with today, who will prayerfully appear after we're gone. But it's also a spirit, because remember, spirit has to occupy man in order to have dominion on the earth. So whether or not the spirit of Antichrist has occupied the person who will reveal, be revealed to be the physical person, the spirit of Antichrist is already at work in the earth today. And actually, John picked up on it. I want to read it to you here in 1 John 4, verse 1. Listen to what John says. He says, Beloved, do not believe every evil spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming, listen, and now is in the world today. This is John writing 2,000 years ago, picking up that though the man might not be on the planet yet or may not be possessed yet or may not be in political power yet, don't be deceived that the spirit behind the man is already, John saw this 2,000 years ago. 
Can you imagine him looking forward in the lens of today and seeing what he sees? Would his warning not be so much so more today than it was 2,000 years ago? Saying, don't be deceived by every spirit that claims to be a prophet of God. Because there is a spirit at work in the earth today who's trying to make the world, make the church anti-God. I'll go back a chapter or two in 1 John chapter 2. And John's writing to a church that he most likely started himself. And he is responding to uh, some arguments that were happening in the church and some people left the church. and, And here's what John would say to them. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. Uh, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. I want you to pay close attention to that. He who denies the Father and the Son. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will too abide in the Son and the Father. This is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. So John points out some characteristics of what he's recognizing in the church as the spirit of Antichrist. Just to make sure you're awake, just say spirit. Spirit. So we're not talking about the man. We're talking about the spirit that's already at work in the earth and has been at work in the earth for 2,000 years. John is writing to the church and he's saying, listen, some of the characteristics you will see of the Antichrist is in the last days, there are those who will desert the church. There are those who will desert the church. And I don't mean eat dessert. There are those who will leave and abandon the church. John says they weren't kicked out. They weren't pushed out. They simply walked away and left on their own. I don't mean to keep repeating a beating horse, but just for the sake of you who aren't on social media, one of the top trending things in social media is the ex-evangelical movement. And I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail today. But again, that movement is marked by people who were once a part of the church who deliberately walked away from the church and said, I no longer identify with the church or its practices or its preaching or its teaching. And many, if you read their stories or hear their stories, they will say, well, I still believe in God or I believe in spirituality or some form of Jesus, but I want nothing to do with the church. Again, I told you a few weeks ago, you can't divide God and his church. That would be like going to the car and looking your wife in the face and saying, I really love your face, but not your body. Come on, you'd be in trouble. And so when we look at God and he says, this church is my body, it's my force on the earth. Though it might have problems and though it might have issues, if we love God, we're going to be dedicated to the house of God. Why? Because it is his avenue to work in the earth. We are his body. Come on, somebody. We are the church. So... CNN, 
And I just want to prove some of these things to you. CNN on April 9th of this year, so this isn't old stuff, April 9th. Uh, I'm going to read you some things in an article that CNN wrote about church attendance. Here's what it says. For years, church leaders have, and commentators have warned that Christianity is dying in America. They say the American church is poised to follow the path of churches in Western Europe, where they are now soaring Gothic cathedrals, cathedrals with empty pews. Shuttered church buildings converted into skate parks and nightclubs and secularized society where uh, one theologian said Christianity is a norm is probably gone for good or at least for the next hundred years. The article would go on to say virtually every recent poll about Christianity in America has been brutal for for its followers. And here it says about 64% of Americans call themselves Christians. Say, well, you might say, well, that's pretty good. 64%. It might sound like a lot, but 50 years ago, that number was at 90%. According to a 2020 Pew Research Center study, that same survey said that Chris, the Christian majority in the U.S. may disappear by 2070. Uh, Gallup poll revealed another grim number for Christians that the church in the U.S. has fallen below 50% of people who are attending church for the first time in our history. Some of these things can be uh, uh, attributed to, uh, you know, societies changing, can be attributed to uh, church scandals and press, but it also can be attributed to society believing that the church is against marginalized groups of people. But here's the one thing that I thought was very interesting. It says church leaders in the U.S. have fretted about the rise of nuns. Everybody say nuns. These are people who describe themselves as atheists or as Gnostics or nothing in particular. When asked their religious identity, the ascent of nuns will transform this country's religious and political landscape. Uh, she says about 30% of Americans now call themselves nuns. About 30% of Americans call themselves nuns. One thing I think is very interesting, if you remember what we just read about Paul, he says in the last there will be the Antichrist, the great falling away. But what, what does he say? He says, but you have the Holy Spirit who teaches you all things. I love that he introduced the revelation of the Holy Spirit in that verse of Scripture. Because he's giving a prophetic warning that, listen, it's going to be you know, not looking great for the church. There, there's going to be a falling away. Society's going to turn. We're going to be persecuted. There's going to be a lot of negative things happening in the world of church life. But he says, don't forget about the Holy Spirit. And what I love about that is we've come through several years where, again, me personally, I believe the mindset of the world and the church has changed dramatically. But what have we seen on the tail end of that shift? We've seen revival breaking out in different places around the world in the church. That's why I said, although the world will get darker and darker and darker, what will happen is those who are on the fringes of church life, here today, gone tomorrow, I come, but, you know, just don't challenge me on anything. I feel good when I go, but, you know, you're just not in. You, you with me? Those who aren't in, who aren't planted. And I'm not just talk, even just talking about church attendance. I'm talking about planted in God, rooted in your faith. Like you're putting some effort in. You're reading your Bible. You're praying. You're, you're you know, worshiping. You're doing all the things that we know develop spiritual fruit and maturity in the life of a believer. 
they will stand. And for them, it's going to get great, and they will see revival after revival after outpouring because Joel also prophesied that in the last days, he will pour out his spirit on his sons and his daughters. Who's his? God's, right? Us. So what we're really facing in the church today is this dividing line where God's saying, you have to pick what side you're going to be on. You have to pick whether you're all in or you're all out. Because the, the day in church life where, you know, I go, but I live like the world or I look like the world and you, it just doesn't work anymore. And God's saying, I'm drawing a new line in the sand. And if you're in, you're in. And we have to make that decision to be all in. Why? Because we want to be found faithful at the coming of the Lord. Remember the ten virgins, five lamps were full. They were ready. They were all in. They were prepared. They were living like Jesus was coming any moment. And when he did, they were ready. And those who were riding the fence, he said, nothing I can do for you. So in the last days, there will be this great increase of those who will deny Jesus. Deny the Son. Actually, if you survey a lot of people today, you'll find that most people don't have a problem with God or the concept of God. Most people, when somebody they love passes, attribute their passing as they are now in heaven. There's no biblical reference of the requirements to get into heaven. All right, I'm not going to hang out there. And I know we say those things for people who are grieving in the moment because we feel like it helps them, but your Bible doesn't say that they go to heaven because we want them to go there. It doesn't say they go to heaven because, well, they were a pretty good person in their life. No, there was one qualification to walk on those streets of gold, and that is that you accept Jesus Christ, not God, not a supernatural being, not spirituality, and all roads converge and lead to one. He said, no, you will get there because you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You gave your life to him, and you live for him, and as a result of that, when you leave this earth, you will go to heaven. So most people don't have a problem with the concept of God. What they have a problem is with the concept of Jesus. I'll say that again. Most people don't have a, concept of, a problem with the concept of God. It's the problem of Jesus. Because Jesus makes bold claims. No one goes to God except through me. Jesus makes the claims and says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Those who abide in me, I'll abide in them. Those who aren't of me, I cut off and throw into the fire. So one of the lies of the Antichrist that is pervasive in this hour is that all roads lead to God. So you can believe what you want to believe. I believe it's through Jesus, and you might believe it's through Buddha, and they might believe it's through Muhammad, and the ones over here believe it's through Mother Mary, and all of these roads. But isn't it all about just connecting and relating to God? Well, no, because that's not the claim of Jesus. Jesus didn't say, I am one of the ways. He didn't say, there are other ways. He said, I am the one and only Way. I want to show you one of the ways we see this uh, coming to pass 
in our world today is the Pope is building something that is called the Abrahamic Family House. And Pope Francis um, has, has come with his other Muslim leaders and they signed this global peace covenant called the Document of Human Fraternity of Four World Peace. And they are currently building, and I think we have a picture of it, these three buildings. One represents a mosque, one represents a church, and one represents a synagogue. What's interesting is the one representing a church cannot have a cross on the building uh, to identify it because where it's being built in the Middle East, it's illegal to display a Christian cross on the building. So that wouldn't be allowed. And in the, obviously where they are, it's not acceptable to promote Jesus as being the way. And I just think that's so interesting is that even now, religious leaders of the world are currently building this thing that they say is about unity with all religions. And again, I say on the surface, it sounds right. Like, why wouldn't we want to be in unity with all people? Are Christians wanting disunity? Are Christians wanting to say, well, you know, if you don't agree with us, then you should be killed? No, that's not our message. And I, if some people don't believe me, like, agree with me with this, but I do believe that we should have freedom of religion. Because if I want it for me, then I have to stand that you should have it for you. So if you want to believe what you want to believe, that's perfectly fine. Build your mosque, build your temple, build your thing. And I want that same right as well. But no longer is that an acceptable stance to take. Because now if we say, well, I believe what I believe, but if I believe what you believe is wrong, therefore I am perpetrating hate speech against another group of individuals. Because I'm not validating your belief. Are you following this? Yes. And can't we see that played through every vein of culture today where it's like, well, if you don't believe in marriage equality and you don't believe in rights for, for this and that thing over here, well, then suddenly it's not that just I have a different belief than you and I honor that that's what you want to believe, but this is what I believe to be true. Now it's no longer this, hey, we're just do you, I'll do me. Now it's, well, you are perpetrating hate speech against a marginalized group of people because you do not believe their ideology is, ideology is correct. Do you see the spirit of the Antichrist working in the world, turning the mindset of the world to say, if we do not all coexist equally, acknowledging that we are all one and acknowledging that my beliefs are just as valid as your beliefs, therefore you are a hateful, mean person. Therefore, the church must be stopped. Why? Because the church is perpetrating lies. The church is perpetrating hate. And again, I understand there have been those who would go out with signs and say God hates certain groups of people and has really given the church a bad. I understand. I don't, I'm not in agreement with any of that. Why? Because I believe that if somebody wants to believe different than me, I have to honor that. I don't have to agree with it. And not because I don't agree with it don't mean I have to be mean. Right? I don't agree with your life choices, you may not agree with my life choices, but they're your life choices. You stand before God, right? I was saying to somebody this week, they were talking, not at our church, but they were talking to another pastor, and uh, somebody at their church just was 
came in and just told them everything that they were doing wrong, you know, in their church. And, and the pastor was just confiding. He was just kind of vetting off steam. But he said, you know, A, B, C, D, and F and Z is happening in their life. And I said, isn't that always interesting? Is I have enough time just finding out the will of God for me personally <laughs> and for my family and what God wants me to do and how to raise my kids. I just think, you know, and then on top of it, I'm trying to pray and ask God, what's the direction for the church? What do you want me to preach? You know, where are we at as a congregation? And I think it's so funny is that people can have so much mess in their life, but somehow God bypasses speaking to all of their mess and gives them the exact word and direction for a group of people or another individual. So I've gotten to tell people, listen, Pastor, what do you think I should do? Well, I don't know. I can't tell you the will of God for your life. Because I'm trying to figure out the will of God for my life. Uh, you... Anyway, I don't even know why I said all that, but maybe somebody in here needed it. I don't know. I tried to circle back, and I'm like, I don't know what I was talking about. So anyway, what I think is interesting is if you've been a part of the church, especially in the 90s, you know the term one world religion, one world government. And for a long time, I was being prepared to think that, well, there would be one religion that would be the acceptable religion of the world. But based off of what we're seeing even being built today, I think we've perceived that wrong. And the enemy has been able to come in because he's, I don't think he's going to bring one world religion. I think he's going to bring an ideology that says all religions are equal. And if you think your religion isn't equal... Again, you've moved into now hating other people. Do you see that? So could it be that it's not one religion, but if there's not an acceptable tolerance of all religions and that all paths equal to God, then we're in trouble. Just as a reminder in verse 26 of what we've read, I write these things to you so that those who are trying to deceive you, about those who are trying to deceive you, excuse me, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Can I say one of the things that I believe the Lord has spoken to me concerning our church is I just felt like he said, just keep putting teaching, just teach, teach, teach. Every time we turn around is that we should have teaching and we've been working and we are working to continue having groups throughout the week and working to build more uh, in-home groups where people are uh, fellowshipping together and being together. And that's why we develop a TV network um, that brings teaching 24 hours a day, because as the end grows closer, the opportunity to be deceived, the opportunity to be start questioning your faith, the opportunity to say, is everything that I believe a lie? All of those things are going to come pressing it in you on every angle. And if you're not rooted and grounded in the word of God, it all makes sense. That's what I'm saying. We think the world's just going to be like saying stuff that's like totally out of the water and all that, you know, oh, nobody would believe that. Like I told you the last week about the mark of the beast. I get it. I get having all of your information on one thing. It's convenient. It's easy. 
the, the, the message of the world, you know, that every faith is equal. We are all one, except everyone's differences. It sounds on the surface right. So I want us to be aware of that and the working of the Antichrist. He doesn't just come in and start spewing negative things and negative lies. He, he begins with little bits of truth that sound right. And it creeps in. And before you know it, it's too late. So I really, as I begin to work this message, one thing that I begin to think about is I begin to think about World War II and even Hitler with the Jews. And you know, that wasn't so long ago. Six million Jewish people were murdered. Six million Jewish people, men, women, and children were murdered in the 1940s. Not 17-something, way back somewhere. No, we were driving cars. We had video cameras. Six million people. And so as I begin to think about that, I begin to read a little bit about Hitler. And I don't think Hitler was the Antichrist, but I do believe that he would be a picture of how it would work. Because we would stand here today and say, well, absolutely no one would stand and allow six million people to be murdered. We would stop it. But I begin to think about that, and I begin to think about Hitler's armies, and I begin to think about, you know, all of that. And I thought, you know, he didn't do it alone. There were millions of people who supported his ideology, who supported his message. And really, if you... Look at Hitler. He was a gifted, dynamic speaker. Amen. He was able to rally people around his message. And when he was uh, coming in, he was coming into a time where the German people were in great economic distress. I read that one commentator wrote, like, to go buy, and this was an exaggeration, but he said for the people at the time to go buy a loaf of bread because their dollar value was so low, it would be like bringing in a barrel of, of cash. To buy one look. The people were in such economic distress, such chaos in their world, that when Hitler came in with a message, and his message was really it was the Jewish people and their economics that were hurting Germany, it seemed like, oh, it made sense. Again, I, I, we stand on this side of history. But I'm talking about millions of people who heard this man's message. And because of where they were, their economic problems, the chaos in their world, his message seemed right. And his message seem, seemed like the correct answer. Are you with me? And as a result... Hitler gathered millions of people around him to follow him and to kill six million Jewish people. I think it was a prophetic warning because, again, we read these things of a superpower coming into political power that will deceive the world, and we think, that stuff's so crazy. Go back to 1940. 
you would stand here and tell me that would never happen. World governments, you know, and I begin to read that. There was a lot of heat for America staying silent as a lot of that was happening. And it wasn't until they bombed us that America said, fine, we'll get involved. As millions of people were being killed, we remained silent. We want to be neutral. Let them take care of their own conflict. So I know some of this Bible prophecy stuff sounds a political world leader embodied by the devil. This is so weird. It's not that weird. Because you get people in desperate enough situations. They will believe whatever it is they have to believe to believe that there's a better tomorrow. And if you're not rooted and grounded in the word of God when the storms, because it rains on the just and the unjust, when economic collapse comes to our world and financial problems come to our world and you don't know where you're getting your next meal and you don't know where you're going to live and all of those things happen, you have to be very careful because there will be a message that will be presented to the body of Christ that says this person is the answer. They have the answer. And I told you this last week, and I'm not saying I'm pro or against Trump, but what I'm saying is the white evangelical church that idolized many times a man that said he is the one and only answer. And I say he did some great things. Now, you don't, I don't talk politics typically. But my point is I could recognize that there were some positive things about him and maybe some believers voted for him because he was the best of two candidates at the time. But when I have run into people, Christian believers, who, who are just head in the sand that he, there, he did nothing wrong there's nothing ever wrong that it's just like are you I mean he was human I got real quiet in the church this morning I don't I'm not saying I'm not telling you what you should vote for okay I'm not that's not what I'm after what I'm saying is we just have to be careful that we never look at a person as our solution because even if he was God's gift to the church and to America at the most you got eight years. Amen. Then what? Right. And he, there would, they, him or her would still be human. So I hear my heart. I'm not, again, don't, don't write me a letter. All that I'm saying is, is when I have witnessed people who just won't take blinders off that maybe some bad things were done. Maybe there's some great things that were done. But he's not the solution. Jesus and Jesus alone will be solution. And I believe just like Hitler was a forecast of how the world could turn a blinding eye to millions being murdered and persecuted. I believe sometimes even what all happened in 2020 was a picture of how the church could be deceived and blinded because somebody stood up and said they have their best interests at heart. I absolutely hate when preachers continue to talk about COVID because it's like, it's over, it's done, let's move on. But nevertheless, here I am. <laughs> but go back two years. Go back two years, three years, I guess now. One of the first weird things that I noticed is Sarah and I were driving down Harrisburg Pike, what would have been rush hour traffic, and there were like three cars. Anybody else experienced that during that time? And it was this eerie, weird, where's everybody at? I remember getting a call from a family member of 
they, they had come from the grocery store and there was nothing left. And it's like 1130 at night and Sarah's like, I'm making the list, get dressed, you're going to Giant now. <laughs> and here I am at midnight going through Giant and literally searching hard to find the things that we need. But if you would have told me a year before that, that there would be a day I'd walk out my front door and not find people on the streets and couldn't find toilet paper and couldn't find food, I would have said, okay, you're like Revelation, end times, weird people. Like, that won't happen. Again, I'm not, I'm saying some of these things I think are God-given tremors. To let you know that a world that we have such confidence in, we shouldn't. A political system that, that we have such confidence in, we shouldn't. That just because there's not a shortage for food today doesn't mean there won't be tomorrow. And I'm not here to preach doom and gloom. Because I believe when God's on your side, he will bring birds to bring you manna, to bring you bread. He'll provide water from a rock. He'll do whatever it is he has to do to provide for his people. I'm not talking about stressing out about this stuff. I'm just saying your foundation must always be on God and God alone. Corey Ten Boom says you never know that Jesus is all that you have and uh, all that you need until he's all that you have left. Amen. And sometimes I think God brings these storms into our world and into our life just to remind us you've been riding on that job and you thought that job was your source and you thought that business was your forever income and you thought that that, you know, your spouse was going to be with you forever and then stuff happens in your life and it's a God come in to say, listen, that person's not your happiness. That job is not your source. I and I alone must be the source of your life, the source of your strength. If you're not in the word of God, reading it and digesting it and living by it, Paul said, listen, every wind of doctrine will blow and you'll be caught in the mix. The Antichrist is coming, but the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work. Already working in our world to push God out. So how do we respond to all this? Do we fear? No. Do we get anxious? No. We just have to know that we know that we know that we know the truth. Amen. We have to know it. We have to know it. So my challenge for you today is twofold. A challenge for you today is how well do you know it? And I'm, you know, even as I did this, I, you know, begin to think to myself, Jim, I know I'm a pastor and I preach every week, but sometimes I find myself going through seasons where I'm reading to get a sermon, which is, is good, but there's a difference in that and when I'm really sitting and digesting the word of God and figuring out how does this apply to my life and memorizing scripture. Do you know scripture memorization is powerful? Yeah. It's needed. So that when false doctrine comes, there's just that little thing in your spirit that says, I don't know, it just doesn't sit right. It doesn't seem right. Come on. And the second fold I want to challenge you is how well 
Have you shared the gospel with those around you? Because their lives hang in the balance. You know a truth that can radically alter the course of their eternity. The fact of the matter is not everybody goes to heaven. Not everybody who closes their eyes on this people planet goes to this magical place in the sky because that's what we like to tell grieving people. The fact of the matter is some people will close their eyes on this planet and spend an eternity in hell in separation from God without any hope of redemption. And you might say, well, how could a mean God do something like that? He's not a mean God. That's why he looked when Adam and Eve made the choice to bring sin into the world. He said, I will come up with a solution. I'll pay for it. I'll die for it so that anyone, all they have to do is call upon my name and their eternity is secure. But because he's a loving God, he can't force it on anybody. He can't force it. So he says, the choice is yours. The opportunity is yours. You choose. And the fact of the matter is how many people around us that we know and love will close their eyes and we won't see them in heaven. And they won't be there waiting for us on the other shore. You see, we got to be busy. You see why I always laugh when people get into other people's drama? How do you got time for all that mix? I don't. Like your neighbors and friends are dying and going to hell. And you're worried about who said what behind your back and how, you know, I don't like that attitude and, you know, I don't like the tone of her text message. You, you, know, you know what I mean? It's just sometimes it's like, just reevaluate your life sometimes. It's like, all right, that's probably not that big of a deal. Team, you can come. I know today's a heavy message. It's a sobering message. But I bring this message to us today is because the Antichrist is not just a figure who is going to arrive before the great judgment. He will. But the Antichrist is a spirit who's currently at work in the earth and dare I say in the church to silence God. To make you and I believe that Jesus is one way and not the only way. Let's stand to our feet. I want to pray for you. So, Father, we stand on the earth in these end times. And, Lord, I... No, we may not know the day or the hour of your coming. But we do know that we stand between your first coming and your second coming. And we recognize that the world is looking dark. But we are your church on the earth in this time. If you tarry and, 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 and don't come back for another hundred years, the next generations will look back at this time and talk about the faith of the church during this time, of whether we excelled or whether we dropped the ball. So we as your people stand on the earth during this time and we cry out for more of you, for more of your spirit, for more of your presence. 
that you would continue to draw us closer to yourself and draw us closer to your word, that we would know the truth, that we wouldn't have to continually be fed with milk and honey, but like Paul said, that we could eat of the, the deep things of God, that we could eat of the meat of God, that we wouldn't be uh, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but we would be able to stand firm and secure in your word. Father, help us be a light to people. Help us recognize that the world around us is hurting and dying and they're doing crazy things and making crazy decisions only because they're lost without you. So help us never stand in a place of judgment of them. Help us run to them with the medicine that you've given us. Help us run to them with the light that you've entrusted us with. Help us run to people who are hurting, people who are dying, people who simply need a Savior. Help us not stand in judgment, but help us say we are beggars as well. But we found where there's bread. We found where there's bread. Commission us, Father. Second.